It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name's James True Penny. This is my show, and today we are back at the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Wrestling. Professional wrestling in Japan, I should say that correctly, with two varied guards that are quite short, so we put them together in one episode for you to have a look at, and they are both sublime and ridiculous, as we tend to do with these things. And to discuss with me this momentous event is Mr. John Densdale of Steel Chair Magazine. Thank you for joining me, sir. Thank you for finally taking this back to my realm. <laughs> well, it's true. I normally get Dara to do this stuff, <laughs> but I thought this was stretching into your territory a bit. You know, Dara does weird. I'm trying to persuade. I've got to. I've got to get Dave um, from Wrestling Rewind as more swimming pool matches for him to review because apparently he likes matches in swimming pools. So, it's quite I a point specific that. niche. Uh, you, they were doing um, some late 90s WWE stuff and there was like a swimming pool match for the Divas and he really enjoyed it. He thought it was really good. So I sent him in the way of the FMW Hell Death Exploding by YSC mine match at the Olympic Swimming Stadium. I don't think he's watched it yet. But that's what happens when you go on the rewind. You get sidetracked into, well, if you like that, you should like this. <laughs> So I did the um, rewind last week. If you want to go back and listen to the rewind, I am on it. It was a very special guest to go through their year-end awards. To be fair, this should be a more positive episode because there's no Master Wato around for me to rag on for <laughs> 10 minutes straight. Uh, it's the, the beginning of Grand New Beginning. They've upped the name of New Japan's uh, big opening show of the year because like, we kind of considered like Wrestle Kingdom the closing show of the previous year. Uh, but New Beginning is now called Grand New Beginning. and uh, Salt on the Castle or whatever the hell it's called? Oh, I don't know. I think someone's having a laugh. To be honest with you, if you were the, the, <laughs> someone's been looking after the NGPW Global Shop this week and they really need to get out the house more because uh, they, did a, they did an advert this week which was... Haven't you always wanted Kotrabushi waiting for you when you get out of the shower? Well, now you can with the Kotrabushi towel. That's, that's a fairly yes. clever advert. It, it's clever. I feel someone's hormones need to be put in check. However, it just feels there we like are. New Japan is sort of starting to base their show off 80s action movies. We've had Stadium Struggle. Oh, sorry, Summer Struggle. Now we've got whatever the hell it is, Assault the Castle. I can't remember it exactly, and I can't be asked to check. But it's like, it, someone looked at like Jean-Claude Van Damme's back catalogue and thought, we could name shows after that. Quite possibly. I think it's going to be Takeshi's Castle next. <laughs> Ironically enough, though, speaking of Jean-Claude Van Damme, the last time I saw one of the people it's in what I assume is going to be the first thing we talk about was at Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 2. Fighting Timothy Thatcher. Yes. Shall we start with the Pancras? This is going to be hard to talk about because there's only so many times you can sort of say went for an armbar, went for a heel hook, <laughs> went for a knee See, Here's the thing, right? We have looked at pro wrestling Fujiwari Gummy a couple of times before on the Troopany show. And you may probably know the story because I've told it plenty of times before that for... Uh, Fujiwara, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, him of the arm bar, but he just calls it an arm bar, Fujiwara. Um, started pro wrestling Fujiwara Gummy when UWFI closed. Oh, sorry, UWFI closed. As Takada started UWFI, he wants to go in a different direction and make it much more realistic until he realized he wasn't making enough money. And then he started experimenting with Lucha Libre. Um, Masato Funaki, Ken Shamrock, and uh, Minoru Suzuki were like, whoa, hang on, lads. No. And they left, took Carl Gotch with them, and formed uh, Pancras, which started out, as they were working on it as a concept, as a, a traditional wrestling company, much in the same style as the UWFI and Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gummy. And then after a while, they realized that the, the, maybe they wanted something different in the marketplace, and Carl Gotch said, well, 
why not just have wrestling matches that actually are real? Because you're all well-trained enough to make it look interesting. And that's where they started from. And that's the start point. They had a couple of shows where things were kind of a mix of um, uh, shoot fighting and a mix of um, booked working. Um, and uh, that that kind of worked a little bit. And then eventually they just kind of moved over to shoot style wrestling. So that became World Pancras Create Incorporated. And their first show was promoted at the Tokyo Bay NK Hall, which was where, fully enough, Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gummy's first show was promoted that we looked at some years ago with me and Chelsea. And that was really where they started. And there is some issues with having a real wrestling promotion, as I'm sure we'll discuss. But there's also the fact that Pro and Crass is still going today, some 28 years later, is still one of the most important mixed martial arts companies in the world and has a loyal following and a streaming service on the UFC network. So they must have been doing something right. What are your thoughts, John? What did you know of Pancras before you started watching this? And what are your thoughts on the idea of a real wrestling promotion being actually real? Oh, we all know I love shoot fighting. I've never made that a secret. Pancras, <laughs> heard a lot of, seen bits of, but this is sort of like the full tournament of theirs, I suppose, that I've seen. I've already seen a lot of Suzuki's fights. We watched their um, presentation. At the, they were at the Tokyo show, Dome show, weren't they? With the infamous Alien Death match. They were indeed, yes. They yeah, were. They, they did a they did demonstration match. Yes. And, yeah, I've just seen snippets of them throughout history. It's obviously one of those sort of really famous names if you happen to investigate shoot fighting. But, yeah, this is sort of like my first full experience with this time period of the company. Yes. Now, here's the thing. The presentation, because it's real, the matches are awfully short. Like, the first round of this tournament, which is for the Neo Blood Tournament, which is the best name for wrestling tournament, isn't it? Definitely. We could have... Yes. Um, and... It's real, so they're hammering the hell out of one another, and none of the matches um, are going to go last them for longer than five minutes, to be honest with you. We started off with Satoshi Hasegawa, and he wrestled Dave Moore. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I haven't got the results here. I'm going to look for the results. I probably should have done that before now. <laughs> what <laughs> were your thoughts on this won. match? Hasegawa won. Have you made notes, or have you found the results? The results are in the video description. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's the Sherdog yeah. website, isn't it? Um, has a because um, Mua pops his shoulder like halfway through the match, which is um, not very pleasant to watch, but bloody no, hell. he just pops it back in and keeps trying to fight. So, has to go against him in an arm bar and wins because you've just continued the fight with a weakened body part. So, he's going to try and break it further. <laughs> like, you can't deny it, they're tough bastards, but it's like. You've got to think about self-preservation sometimes. Well, that's it. I mean, all of those guys that came from that environment were, like, ridiculous. Takiyama, we talked about Takiyama last week, but he's on a different level, isn't he, really? Oh, well, that uh, was... <laughs> I saw the, the UWFI invasion of New Japan. Someone was watching it the other day. I can't remember who it was. And it was Takiyama and... Um, Yoshi Angio up against Tenzan and Hase, and they just clobbered each other. Yeah. Because Tenzan was, Tenzan's hard, it was hard when he was younger, proper hard. And Takeyama and him were having the right go at one another. It would be awesome. I'd love to have seen that as a singles match. It probably happened, to be fair. Uh, but we'll have a look, I'll, I'll have a look around for that later. Uh, yeah, it was. This is the thing. There's not going to be an awful lot was going. This was a great story. They really told the match well, because it isn't. It's just two guys. Pinning, uh, trying to submit each other. This um, is and as wrestling as a sport over wrestling as an entertainment. Yes, there is there is entertainment here, but the entertainment is two people wrestling one another. Um, and it's kind of like you're kind of relying on, much like boxing, the character of the people who are boxing to get it over. And I think that's the, I think that's really, you know, the thing, isn't it? Like. 
I know Muhammad Ali ships tickets. I'm not sure how many tickets that, say, uh, Leon Sphinx sells, but I know it's not as many as Muhammad Ali. And you're kind of looking for those two different kind of like uh, characteristics within the fighters to see how they're, they're going to like develop. Next, we had Ikishik. Go on. Which fits in perfectly to our next fight, considering Ikuhisa Minoa, a.k.a. Minoa Man, is the most over person in this tournament. Because <laughs> the oh, crowd yeah. He's got... not stop cheering for him. He beat Hagar Chin in 2 minutes and 24 seconds. And you're right, and he is, he is pretty over these days, isn't he? Yeah, people may, like celebrated the hell out of it when he appeared at Bloodsport too. He was... Yeah, he... He fought Timothy Thatcher and um, was Thatcher's first blood spot win. It was yeah, hell of a fight, though. Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, you still have to bear in mind, these are still professional wrestlers. They are well-trained in how to make things entertaining. In fact, for a long time, it was well known that Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki carried a lot of people to a lot longer fights than they needed to have to make things more watchable. But they understood how presentation worked. Um, and again, yeah, it was... It, there's so many arm bars. <laughs> it's... I'm pretty sure it's... I'm sure it's this one. Kasei Kiboto and Johnny Wang Kim uh, went to 2 minutes and 45 seconds. I think they switched to leg bars, though. No, no, this was so... just the two of them trying to beat the shit out of each other. Oh, okay. It was the this... next one that was all leg bars. Yeah, sorry, Karen. I think this... Manoa's was um, all leg bars because that's what um, Manoa won with. Yeah. You see, this is the problem with Pancras. You're like, right, I remember these specific things happening, but I'm not sure which match they happened in because it could have feasibly been all of them. <laughs> Apart from the Kabota and Jong Wang Kim match because this has the funniest yet also most tragic finish to a shoot fight I think I've ever seen. Because Would then you like to explain? Because you had to send messages to me to like, say hey, your joy of this. I have a similar joy later in this, in this particular chat, but uh, we'll, we'll go with your joy to start yes. with. So these two spend the entire match. In fact, I can't even say these two. Jong Wang Kim spends the majority of this match just pulverizing Kabota. It's palm strike central to the point that Wang Kim gets a yellow card because he's not stopping when he's supposed to. And then all of a sudden he just stops fighting and goes like calls for a timeout. And he's broken his thumb or his hand, hitting Kabota too hard. Which means Kabota's now going to go to the next round saying, I got here because my opponent broke his hand, hitting me too hard. And that is the <laughs> funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it's oh, it, it is funny. It's, I mean, there's some entertaining stuff that goes on that's not meant to be entertaining. Uh, we also have Kiechiro Yamamiya, and he defeated Les Johnston in four minutes and seven seconds. Les Johnston was uh, a Gaijin import, and there was a fair few Gaijin imports, largely from Holland and North America, I noticed. Holland produced, sorry, I shouldn't say Holland, the Netherlands of course, Holland is a region of the Netherlands. I told somebody off about that on the internet, and they didn't believe me for a long time. <laughs> um, anywho, um, where was I? So, um, Les Johnson. Yeah, uh, Les Johnson. The Rings, which was a Kira Maeda's promotion, which happened around the same time, which again was semi-booked and semi-real, they had a big base in the Netherlands as well. In fact, they did a pay-per-view in the Netherlands and had Japan versus the Netherlands, which I thought was really interesting as a concept. So there's a lot of, I mean, still happens today, um, a lot of big shoot style and grappling goes on in the Netherlands, as well as kickboxing and other martial arts. So it was an interesting kind of matchup. Again, this I think this was very bar heavy, wasn't it, if I remember correctly? Probably. It sounds about right. <laughs> I, just, I can't remember. It's like, yeah, thought, I'm going to remember most of this. And I remember fighters, and I remember what they were going to finish with, but sort of the bits in between where it's like, right, they're trying for this, they're trying for that. 
they're fighting on the map, they're nearly popping a testicle, they're fighting again, and it's just like, it kind of blends into one. It does, really, unfortunately. I mean, the people who stand out are the big names you expect to stand out because they have personality and have kind of a winner's face about them. Like, the the next match is a kickboxing exhibition match, and it's Ryushi Yanisagawa against Bas Rutten. Well, Bas Rutten turns out to be the biggest name Pancras ever produced, and, but he has that look about him, doesn't he? He has the mm. figure, he has the stance, he's a guy, you know, you look at him and he sells tickets. And Yanisagawa, as cool as he looks and as talented as he is, but you look at him and go, doesn't he doesn't sell tickets. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, but Bas Rutten looks like a fully rounded fighting machine, which he is. You know, he's unstoppable at this particular point in his career. It's interesting they put a kickboxing match, exhibition match, in the middle of all this, as they clearly knew that watching the same through, watching a bunch of rookies beat the hell out of each other, isn't that entertaining after the first three tries, is it? No. So uh, the next round match was Leon Deich. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm trying not to say the other way you could pronounce it. We'll, we'll go with Deich. Uh, against Takafumi Ito. And that went one minute and five seconds. It was short. Round. Yes. This was a two-round so, fight. So it would have been six minutes overall. Because it was five yeah, rounds. Yeah. 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 It's the longest I'm, fight of the night that isn't an exhibition match. Yeah, this is this is um, they borrowed the round systems from British wrestling, which obviously shoot style relies heavily on because of what me and Sai talked about in the early days of British wrestling in the the Brit Rest is Dead podcast and uh, Leon Dyke and th- this was a round system. Yeah, so it, it it spaced things out, it put a break in things and allowed people to reset. Um, and no one else really did a round system until UFC picked it up a few years later, did they? Because they do three five-minute rounds. And yeah. yeah, they just sort of dropped off the map for a bit. Yeah, because I mean, UFC was starting around about this. Well, it's kind of started around about this time. It was the very early days of UFC when Shamrock and Gracie were the kings of the hill, and um, you know. Uh, Suzuki didn't go and Funaki didn't go, so difficult to say if how they would have done there, really, I suppose, though they could handle Shamrock in the Pancras ring, so I guess they would have done all right. But UFC at the time was literally no holes barred. There was no rules. I think there was just no groin shots and don't get it, pull anybody's eye out. And that was about it, really. Which is the reason why I got labelled as human cockfighting. And was banned in many, many places. So, you know, I want to see a promotion like that. I know there is bare-knuckle fighting promotions and things like that, because Josh Barnett took part in one, but it's like, I would love to see that. You can literally love... name your promotion the Human Cockfighting League, and people will get it confused. <laughs> just like, no women's division. It's just like... Why is it, why is human cockfighting in your search history? Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> yes. Well, John John McCain was the lead. Um, John McCain was the lead senator against it and put a lot of pressure on New York to ban it and Nevada in the end as well, which is hilarious because the UFC is now entirely run and run by right wing lunatics. I mean, the kind of right wing lunatics John McCain would have like you know punched in the tit and spat on however <laughs> he is um uh that they are, is as republican an organization as things get these days so you know uh how the political tide turns in the space of 25 years i mean not here we are my freedom like punching someone in the face no it doesn't that's absolutely true yes um page van zant recently signed for bare knuckle fighting as well the former UFC star, she was lightweight and she had eight and five record, but she decided she was done with UFC and bare knuckle boxing gave her a shitload of money to go to them. And uh, yeah, and she's fascinated by the idea of being a bare knuckle boxer. I'm not completely convinced that 
after she's had her face stitched up three or four times that she'd be that that happy with the whole idea. But there you go. It's funny, one of she's... the weirdest combat spots I've ever seen, and it hails from Russia because of course it does, is professional <laughs> slapping tournaments. Like yes, straight up, yes. you just slap people in the face, and the people that enter these tournaments are absolute monsters. It's yeah, because like, you've got. To... Go ahead. Oh. You have a neck for it, really, haven't you? It's not so much it's like you've got to have a, like a neck, and it's just it's insane. The, but You're yeah, not allowed to hit them in the neck. You have to literally, if you hit anywhere other than the cheeks or the neck or the ear, then. You get disqualified. It's literally just straight up hit your opponent as hard as you can on the cheek, and people get knocked out from it. It's yeah, no, it's it's insane. Those the <laughs> yeah, open hand strikes will do damage if not done correctly, as uh, Alex uh, uh, Edwards told us one day. Fujin, he was filming a ref pro show, and Yuji Nagata um, uh, knife edge chopped somebody that hard they threw up. Damn. So, <laughs> you know, if you're not expecting it, all sorts of things can happen. Yeah, Diakadito was all right. It was a bit more entertaining because it was a bit longer. What was really entertaining, though, was Max Zati Funaki versus Osami Shibuya. Um, Shibuya. Uh, nine minutes Shibuya. and 30 seconds. Shibuya. They'll get it right. Shibuya. Nine minutes and 30 seconds. And this was thoroughly entertaining. But again, it's Mas- Masakazati Funaki, and I'd watch him plant vegetables. Because, you know, he's interesting. Yeah, I'd agree. This this was definitely, this felt a bit more structured than the other fights as well. Like, it was no less think, real, but it feels like they knew they were going to go along, so they based it a bit better. Yeah, I think that both of them also were kind of a bit further along in the careers. There was a lot of young talent in the earlier matches, weren't there? Really. True. So... Yeah, it wasn't as uh, it wasn't as predictable as the other one was. This was leg bar city, though. There were so many different variations of leg bars, and you see where Zack Saber Junior gets a lot of his influence from. Definitely, he would have been right at home here. Except, you know, he's not a shooter, but no. But I imagine he'd have. Um been able to win a fair few fights just from how creative he is <laughs> but yeah this this was good stuff i really enjoyed this now this was at currican hall in 1997 because currican hall hosts all sorts of stuff everything that um you know the the wrestling world has to offer both real and imagined and our other tournament features some currican hall action as well but this one was you know a bit more reserved shall we say and uh, we move on to the night two of the Neo Blood Tournament. Satoshi Hasegawa defeated Ikushi uh, Minawa in round two, three minutes into round two. And this was, again, a bit more structured and a bit more watchable, really, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot more going on. In fact, all of these sort of round two matches, you could sort of tell who the more professional people were out of the starting pool. And so they knew what they were going to do. Yeah, I mean, you are kind of like weeding out the, I don't want to say less able, because all of them are world class, but these are the ones that are really good. The and ones that are new... going to succeed. Yeah, this is a new blood tournament, so the older guys aren't in it, you know, so these are people it's to try and make a name for themselves. Because I was hoping to see Suzuki just beat the shit out of someone. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's the thing, isn't it? Once they got established stars, they kept them separate so they could have the big money matches. So you like, which is the most sensible way of booking any form of wrestling promotion, real or imagined. You've got Shibunaki, Shamrock, and Suzuki. They're your top guys. So you keep them away from everybody else. You give them easy matches to keep them over or but make them competitive. And then you have tournaments and you have big matches to build up to championship matches for the King of Pancras. And Shamrock was king of Pancras for a long while in the first early era of Pancras. Um, I'm trying to think here. How long he held the title for? Um, no, I haven't got it. But yeah, so uh, it's it, it, it's not it's not unintelligent booking, is it? It's actually quite sensible booking, really. Yeah. So yeah, 
Um, next up, we had Kiyoshiro Yamiyama against Kosei Kubota. This went 10 minutes, one round. And it was fun 10 minutes. It actually ended on a decision, I think, in the end, didn't it? Yeah. There was no um, clear winner until the judges gave it to Yamamiya. Yeah, because um, I think it was, a, if I remember correctly, his shoulder went, um, Kubota's shoulder went, and the and the the doctor suggested it was stopped because he couldn't defend himself. Yeah. So, you know, it's it was, this is the thing, you know, we talked about the thumb being broken. He landed awkwardly on a suplex. He got, I think he may have broken his collarbone by the looks of things. So he got languid awkwardly on a suplex and then couldn't continue because his arm wasn't in fit shape. So, you know, it, it's this is what happens. It's it's real contact sports, and that's, you know, part of the issue. And, you know, they may have hoped that, like, say, Kubota might have been a bit more, what's the word, photogenic and not let Yamiyama through like a professional wrestling company would do. But this is the real deal, so you have to go with the flow. Um, but, yeah, it was good. And then we had a, an exhibition, well, not an exhibition match, a regular fight. This was Jason Godsey versus Yuke Kondo, eight minutes and 17 seconds. Godsey was pretty good. He was trying to go for the choke. He was a bit of a choke artist and clearly had a range of chokes he was trying to employ. Um, kept going too close to the ropes with Kondo. And you notice, like, again, like the bigger matches, I'm remembering more stuff. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah. This felt fairly one-sided, if memory served me well. Like, Godzi yes. was never really struggling. He just, as you said, kept going for chokes. Yeah, he was... He did chokes from the front, chokes from the back. He he really wanted to choke his opponent out, which I would have thought... I mean, I'm no expert in shoot fighting, but it would have kind of, like, left your arms open for arm bars and all sorts of stuff, surely. Need but that's just me. But if you can't breathe, I suppose it's hard to get an armbar on. Anywho. Then the main event of the particular evening, Kyochi Yamiyama wins the Neo Blood Tournament versus Satoshi Yasugawa with a technical knockout from knees in five minutes and 50 seconds. It was one of those matches where I was watching the match and then it just kind of ended. And I had to run back to find out why it ended. Because he'd taken way too many shots to the face and <laughs> was yes. out on his feet. <laughs> This is where the shooting really came in because it was just strike, 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 knee, 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 knee. No, I'm not a broken record. That's genuinely how many knees were just being thrown with reckless abandon. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It was vicious. Yeah, I mean, again, it's not, I think from an entertainment point of view, it's obviously not as entertaining as we think it is. Sorry, as entertaining as, say, like, uh, pro wrestling in general is. But it is still entertaining to watch as uh, an event, isn't it? I mean, I think it's probably just not my cup of tea too much. Well, the thing with the um, final match was they didn't over-exaggerate the knee strikes. They were literally just kneecap to face. Kneecap. There was none of this sort of flair, pomp or circumstance. It was just straight up brutal knees. So it's like, even this, they could have added flash and showmanship to it and they didn't. They were just like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is respectable in its own regard. It's just as you said, it's never going to be for everyone. Just the people who get off on proper violence. <laughs> yes yes indeedy so that was kind of like Pancras because we wanted to look at it but I don't think either of us can do it justice as we're not like proper shoot experts are we not really I watch a lot of like shoot style wrestling but shoot fighting in of itself is hard to describe or hard to sell to people it's one of these things where it's like if you like technical like specialists if you like seeing a lot of submissions a lot of strikes a lot of like real what people would actually do if thrown into a real wrestling match against someone who wanted to cripple them would do it's not flash like it can be flashy but it's not intentionally flashy you're there for the wrestling nothing else you're not there for 
someone's amazing entrance or some gimmick match or some I don't know you're there for the people fighting in the ring and that's it yeah that's it I mean Pancras is still going it's still a viable company that does an awful lot of different styles of things they have championships for super heavyweight heavyweight light heavyweight middleweight and the original open weight crown because Pancras was open weight there was no junior or heavyweight uh, divisions is currently held by uh, Josh Barnett as we mentioned earlier um, they also have a women's division as well, um, which is very good. And it's pro wrestlers who actually work in that. And it's Sayuru, who is a well-renowned Joshi wrestler, but she's also a badass shooter as well. And she is the women lightweight, women's lightweight champion for Pancras too, and defends that title regularly. Right then, from the sublime, as we so often do, to the ridiculous, the second tournament we're going to look at is from 1998. And it features the establishment of Big Japan Pro Wrestling's Heavyweight Deathmatch Championship. BJW would go on to have a regular strong style championship as well as they got more and more better and better professional wrestlers who weren't that keen on landing in Barbwe because, you know, why would you? But the, <laughs> the original Deathmatch division was the, 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 the gold standard of violence in the late 1990s, and actually showed you how much momentum uh, the company had and the names that they were going with as FMW and IWA kind of imploded and people got sick of the politics once again and wanted to go to somewhere where it was less pressure to work, to be honest. And also, BJW needed to establish a champion. They needed some presence uh, in, in the organization. I think the company is great. But they'd started the company, they'd built a legacy, and now they needed a title to really make the company work. And it was sensible that they'd waited. They didn't start as soon as the company started. Um, so, yeah, it's the Deathmatch Championship tournament, which we're going to look at next, which opened the first night was at Currican Hall. There was a second night for just the final. We'll talk about that much later. But the first match we saw was Mitsuharu Masanaga versus Jason the Terrible. One of the originators of Deathmatch style with FMW and IWA Matsunaga against one of its better proponents, especially from the Western side. Jason the Terrible was a great wrestler who never really got the kudos he deserved, I don't think. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, this was great. Matsunaga is one of my favorite old school Deathmatch guys because there's no nonsense with him. He's all kicks or throw you into Deathmatch objects. It's, it's brilliant. And, yeah, him and Jason the Terrible have just an excellent opening round match. They all seem to be far under, like, barbed wire boards and barbed wire objects rules. Like, each yes. tournament match seems to follow the same code up until the semis where it becomes a no-rope barbed wire. And then the final, which we'll, we'll keep a surprise for now, because if you know where this <laughs> tournament is going, you know where this tournament is going, oh, and it is amazing. God. But well, yeah, these guys have a proper nice professional deathmatch. There's a lot of yeah. actual wrestling alongside just people being thrown into barbed wire, crowd brawling, barbed wire bat shots. And it takes Matsunaga quite a lot to put Jason down. Because it, it ends with like a barbed wire bat camel clutch, which is yeah. um, quite something. Jason kind of had this reputation from FNW and the IWA as kind of their Undertaker. In fact, he was doing a lot of the stuff the Undertaker did before the Undertaker did it back in the early 90s on the US independent circuit. But he had this reputation as a deathmatch wrestler. Actually, one of the best and most... Um, what's the word? Emotional matches I've ever seen in Japan was he went away on tour and they hired somebody else. The somebody else being Tracy Smothers, of course to be Jason the Terrible. <laughs> and they wrestled each other at Currican Hall, and they had an absolute barnstorming match against each other, and it was loser-leave town, and the original Jason lost, so that Tracy Smothers had to continue to be Jason the Terrible in IWA. And uh, I think that's when he went to FM went to uh, BJW. Uh, but yeah, Jason the Terrible was great. Um, Matsuhiro Matsunaga is also outstanding, and there isn't really two better people in this tournament to take the advantage that they can of this particular environment 
And it was a pleasant little wrestling match, considering the environment. I think I agree with you. The next match was unpleasant in a bloodless point of view. Uh, the great Pogo, generally renowned for his common sense and restraint, taking on the great Kajika as Kung Fu Lee. Kajika was, of course, the founder of BJW, I former... How Kajika always manages to enter himself into these matches under different aliases. <laughs> like in the last time we did BJW, he was masked GK. This time he's Kung Fu Lee. And he, it's just funny. It's like this is how you book yourself into your own tournament without taking all the credit. <laughs> it's because you went out in the first round then if Pogo had like injured himself and he had to go through to the second round they would have been lost but yeah Pogo um, it's just blood everywhere he is and... using a very very spiky circle it's like are you surprised no this some of the, the woof. no this is like I mean I don't normally give like you know, trigger warnings, but if you don't like blood, definitely don't watch this. Good God. There is... all match to someone where he legitimately just guts someone with a sickle. <laughs> like... Well, yeah. The... <laughs> he didn't gut them. <laughs> yeah, Pogo in his later years seemed to have got the slicing and dicing down to such an art form that he could not really hurt people, but really look like it was. Or in some cases, he was just hurting people. And... He put Kajika through the reamer. I do. How do you treat your boss like this and get away with it? Well, the boss <laughs> was spending the opening two to three minutes, like dragging Pogo through the crowd, whilst repeatedly jabbing him in the gut. I can see where you'd want to carve him up like a Christmas turkey came from. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but never it was been it... someone else quite like Pogo. No, absolutely, definitely not. And no, there never ever will be. Sort of sheer, I'm just going to cut you up because I can mentality. Like the closest I've come to is probably Alex Cologne in matches against people he doesn't like. Yeah, true. Hmm. Uh, the next match was Shadow Winger versus John's hero, Shoji Nakamaki. And this started to follow the pattern of some of the matches where they locked up, they hit each other a bit, and then somebody grabbed Edlock, and then let's go for a walk. I haven't got that one. I want to talk about that one last, because I thought it was the other way around. No, fair point. Let's go with Shadowinger and Nakamaki. Anyway, so somebody grabs a headlock, and then wanders off into the crowd, and and then they have a bit of a a set two, and, and then they wander back down to the ring again. And it wasn't for anything wrong with it, and it got a lot better because Shadow Winger actually is not a bad wrestler at all. Um, and, and Nakamaki is, well, he bleeds a lot. Um, so they kind of suited one another, but it was a bit geographical when it didn't need to be. Do you see what I mean? Well, they were trying to hide the fact that Nakamaki just wasn't a good wrestler. <laughs> he knew, like, <laughs> he knew a few moves. And knew how to bleed and scream. Yes. And nobody would trouble. argue with me on that. It's like he was very good at what he did, but what he did was not a lot. <laughs> he was basically there as the crash test dummy to get someone else over, and this time it was Shadow Winger. Honest to God, I've been watching Nakamaki for like the last six years as we've been doing this project, and I don't think I've ever seen him win one match. Oh no, he won that yeah. first. No, he won the first round match in the King of the Death matches so he could race face Foley in the second round. That's one match in like seven years of watching Nakamaki, Nakamaki bleed and scream. He wasn't really there to win though, was he? He was there because he loved death matches and wanted to be a part of death matches. Yeah, yeah I suppose so. He's got his own legacy as the world's greatest death match loser. <laughs> Which, yeah, I... which sounds like I'm insulting him, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be remembered as he's like the Brooklyn Brawler of death matches. Yeah, no, I think that's about fair. The guy who was so damn good at putting everyone but himself over. <laughs> oh, right, then we had Shadow WX versus Tommy Honma. Yes, that Tommy Honma, the, the the one that's in. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, 
Shadow of WX went over in 16 minutes and 22 this seconds. Was this was amazing. Like, it started it off kind of messy, and then just as it sort of became more of a match, you see more of how just batshit insane Honma was. Where he was. By, like, a bloody crown. He was at the time. However, this was the period of time when he was beating up his girlfriend. Oh. Which is what I wanted to say before you... <laughs> Braxton soliloquy about him that you knew people, you would do, but I was if if people people not if people are aware they'd be aware. No, well, yeah, but no, they, oh yeah, hang on, hang on, stop. This is the beginner's guide to Japanese wrestling. We design it because people might not be aware. So I am going to make people aware of the fact that Tommy Akamura is not a nice person, um, and he's never apologised for this. Um, really, I. I yeah, no, he hasn't. Oh, no. New, J- New Japan, New Japan never punished him when the uh, news came out. It became wide public knowledge for a good long while. Honman never apologized. New Japan never punished him. He's still on the roster. I'm very sorry for the things he's done that have hurt him in his professional wrestling career. But there are things that are not. I'm not ple- not particularly keen about him, and that's one of the reasons why. Eating piece of shit. That, that yeah, sounds... exactly. That's rule <laughs> one of decent human etiquette. <laughs> yes, this is this. That's that's it, and that's the thing. And you know, I like Conma as a wrestler, and at this particular point in his career, he was great. And it's the Osprey thing, isn't it? Osprey's an it awful is. human being. He's a great professional wrestler. I don't know how to level those things out. In some cases, it's it's easy. Phil Spector has just died whilst we've been doing this podcast. He's a piece of shit. He murdered somebody. That's easy. I can forget about all the great music he made. Who the hell Phil Spector is? The producer from the 1970s who, like, kind of built that wall of sound sound. Um, if you see what I mean. Oh, yeah. As my good friend on yesterday, among my good friend on Twitter yesterday's dances, uh, who follows a lot of New Japan and DDT, she just put on there, I hope that Phil Spector is making dance music in hell. But yes, uh, but it may get done with the Homer stuff. It's like, you know, never acknowledged it, just ignored it what and hoped it went away. What is just not punishing its performers? Who I mean, they did. They have they have done it in the past. Tai, uh, tai Chi had to give ask for public contrition for having an affair with uh, whilst he was married. Um, he shaved his head in contrition and gave a public confession to it. Shibata definitely um, had an affair whilst he was working for the company and was downward pushed for it, and he apologised for it. And um, there was one other as well. I'm trying to think who the other one is. Oh, yeah, Elgin's the obvious one. Um, Elgin essentially just couldn't keep his job because everyone refused to work with him, and New Japan let him go because they couldn't find tag partners for him and they couldn't find opponents for him because they all hated him. Was it just me or is... Having an affair a worse crime for New Japan than beating up your girlfriend? Or sexually assaulting them. Yes, I think it is. I think because it... Oh, um, Takamichi Noku was another one as well. He apologised, sold his stake in uh, Kayentai Dojo and resigned from New Japan Pro Wrestling. He works for Old Japan now and started a new company. So, you know, he wasn't really... He was punished in the sense that New Japan wouldn't associate with him anymore. But even then, they had they brought him back about six months later just so he could introduce Zack Sabre Jr. on the show. And it wasn't like, you know... It wasn't like he had a short affair with this woman. They had a child. They'd been doing it for eight years. So, you know, he, they had to do something about like that. New Japan really go for the sort of art or artist versus art thing don't they yeah that's that's it that's what we're kind of stuck with it's what we've been discussing it again today on uh as far as impact wrestling is concerned um because they had the big main event last night you know and it's like this is great but there's still two people in that main event who you shouldn't be employing <laughs> what which, can you do uh, which one's moose and uh, who's the other one swan swan you know, see it, that that one got resolved though, didn't it? That was she, yeah, that well, was like a mutual fight. That wasn't him just being an abusive piece of. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that was the reason why he was fired from WWE, and that's what he admitted to in court, and that's what the video showed. So it's it's like it, I understand what you're saying. It's I have I have issues with it in the sense of you're also talking about his wife's income because they're married and they both work for the same company. You know, it's there is a there is a link tie between them, and it's not going to do Sue Young any good if Rich Swan's out of a job and it's not going to do their relationship any good and they've clearly moved on and that's fine, that's okay. Whereas the Moose one? <laughs> Moose is just dick from all sort of parties that yeah. I've ever heard. It's annoying yeah. because he's really good in the ring again. It's again, good wrestler, shit person. <laughs> yeah, I... I'm not that keen on his wrestling, to be honest, because he just seems the to be like... The things he was doing at Hard to Kill last night were actually pretty damn impressive. I, 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 Yeah, I mean, to actually, like, move-for-move move copy Kazuchika Okada for most of your career is pretty impressive. And anyway, I don't know, I've never, yeah. I've never seen Okada do a standing moonsault or a no, I Spanish up, fly. Up till now. The new stuff he's been adding, but he should have done that three or four years ago. He needed to grow quicker than he did. He's got there in the end and I'm glad, but you're right, he's still white. Ironically enough, jackass. Impact also had a great barbed wire match last night. Ah, there you go. Hard to Kill was an interesting show, um, from what I understand. And new Knockouts Tag Team Champions, of course, as well. Um, mm. Well, not Spikelix. Yes, there was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on. We're talking about this show. We kind of got sidetracked about, about stuff. Yeah, um, about how shitty Honma was without talking yes. about this match because Shadow WX did damn well in this as well. Yeah, he did. I mean, I mean, Honma at the time was better than he is now by a long way. He hasn't got the experience and the poise that he has now, but his ability to kind of like put a match together was very good. But I think Shadow WX is excellent and he had this a lot of charisma of- and character to it. This is kind of where you start noticing the signs that Honma is going to go crazy, which leads to the sort of um, 2000 CZW matches. Yeah, true. Where he really goes uh, over the limit. Also in this match is one of the best whip into the chairs at Currican Hall I've ever seen, because essentially Shadow WX ends up three rows back, um, which was really interesting. But yes, it did lead to an interesting kind of lineup in the next round because Pogo's army, because obviously Pogo can't go anywhere without recruiting acolytes, obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, meant there were three of them in the semifinals, including Shadow WX against the Great Pogo. And so Shadow WX, who basically clearly has Great Pogo as his hero, turns up wearing the combat pants and the cowboy boots and the, the Pogo t-shirt and the face paint, which resembles Mr. Pogo's face paint. Not quite the same, but similar. And there's Pogo. And it becomes really hard to tell them apart. And then Pogo proceeds to try and mentor, sorry, try and um, demolish his um, apprentice, really. It's like evil versus evil. Though Shadow WX is really good at this match and sells for the old man really, really well. And Pogo, I hesitate to use the word, looks after him. <laughs> well, he may- two sort of War Brothers having a fight, and those types of fights are always the bloodiest. It's like if you ever put yeah. two allies against each other, they will murder each other just because they can, because they'll go back to being friends the next day. Because they still yes. fight alongside each other. And obviously, if you get to fight your mentor, you want to go all out against him. And Pogo obviously doesn't hold back because it's bloody Pogo. Yeah, this is it. And it's 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 a, it's, it's a well-told narrative of master and student. And it works really, really well. And Pogo obviously has a great little respect for Shadow WX in one of the most touching BJW moments where he puts his sickle on WX's chest when he leaves the well, match. One of about the seven he pulls out of his bag of tricks. Yes. Pogo is never the worst for wear when it comes to <laughs> stuff. Uh, in the other semi-final, which was, again, no rope barbed wire, Matsuhiro Matsunaga... Well, actually, they didn't even get a chance to put the barbed wire up in this one, did they? Shadow Winger kind of kicked things off early, and they went to 10 minutes and 21 seconds in another thriller. 
I really enjoyed this. Winger didn't actually do anything. He just rolled outside and Matsunaga broke the wire by diving onto it. Yeah, he does this he was twice like, in this match. It's oh kind of got going for a tope and just kind of like landed in the wire. It's because he sort of he starts and realizes Winger isn't in position and can't stop himself and just crashes through the wire. In fact, that happens yes. in both matches. Both like Winger gets thrown through the wire and it just explodes, and then it happens here as well. It just breaks apart so easily. BJW didn't have the the kind of financial clout that the other deathmatch companies had, um, and they made mended and made do with what they've got, which they still do today. I still think a lot of BJW stuff is contrived in the modern day and age, but I like the way they laid these out. You know, it was death matches done cheap, but it was death matches done right, wasn't it? To be fair, they had in October they had one of the most unique death matches I've seen in forever, and it was called the um, I think it's Alpha Moonlight Death Match, and basically it was to because it was around Halloween, the ring was kind of lit up by Halloween decorations and nothing else. There'd be like torches around. And so it was really hard to see what was going on half the time, but they were sort of fighting in the dark, and it actually ended with Vegeta strangling out Masavu Takahashi. I think no, Messiah Takahashi. I'm thinking of his Twitter handle with a logo <laughs> sickle over the ropes. It was a great throwback. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it at the time as well, but it just again shows that BJW try to be innovative. And yes, they do have they really great ideas for death matches. They just don't always execute them very well. No, and this is probably, you know, the best example of that. As we move on to the final, oh, this which was, was amazing. Mas- this was amazing for for several different reasons. Masahiro Masanaga versus the Great Pogo in the final. Eight minutes and 36 seconds. Good God, it felt about three days long, this match. Eight minutes and 36 seconds. When did they time that from? No <laughs> rock, barbed wire. Yes. No. coffin death match. Yes, the great title is essentially a coffin match, which as you see in the WWE, or indeed Billy, Bully Ray and... Um, uh, oh, God, was it? It was... Um, thingy. Oh, he used to do the microphone introduction. His name, I can't remember, as the terrible tattoo across his... There you go. Mr. Kennedy and Bully Ray in Manchester Evening News Arena had one of these and all. Um, (laughs) But yes, of course, with the added joy of fire. Now, if you've listened to the Troopany Show closely for the last several years, you will know that fire matches have the issue of not working very well because they're fire matches. This one was done in a car park and was a good example of it not working very well a lot of the time. There were some interesting bits in this one, but it did seem to me as a little anticlimactic considering how good the tournament would be. Personally, I'm sure John has a differing opinion. What's oh, your this opinion? Was, this was cool. They had it timed out as well so that every couple of minutes more of the ring would be set on fire. And it's, it's but, just that. Matanaga and Pogo having a match whilst occasionally dodging fire. It's not all flame spots and third degree burns. Unlike, to be fair, fire still messes up in like matches to this day. Like I watched ICW last weekend, and they had <laughs> um, Alex Ocean versus Lord Crew, and they wanted to end the match with a flaming elbow drop, and the fire went out halfway down. Which can't be helped because fire goes out very easily in cold temperatures. <laughs> and um, oh. that doesn't happen so much here, but it takes uh, Matanaga like two attempts to set his forearm on fire for a clothesline. Yes, and then slips in the lighter fluid that he had poured on his arm. <sighs> Just genius. Anywho. It can't be um, helped. It's, it's still. <laughs> <laughs> There's still violence and there's still fighting and there's, there's the whole spectacle of oh my god that's a lot of fire. It's not well, quite it. FMW tag match that had to be stopped because two of the competitors got third degree burns. But well, no, they've learned their lesson clearly because they didn't set the whole thing off in one go. They just did one little bit at a time. By the time they get to the second little bit. 
they're both like look at each other look at the smoke look at each other again then slide to the outside to let the fire down down whilst they have a drink of water and have a rest hang on lads we'll be back in a minute which does interrupt the flow a bit but it's still Matsunaga versus Pogo so they can kind of bluster their way through it it's Pogo ends up one winning of the most awesome endings to a match in history well pogo put matsunaga in the box do you want to explain more so matsunaga gets dumped in the box pogo goes outside to set up for something matsunaga tries to break out pogo stabs him back down puts the lid on the box sets one of his sickles on fire and sets the coffin on fire whilst matsunaga is in it the ref checks the coffin to see if Matsunaga is going to burst out, then calls the match off, and the coffin is quickly, ex- well, not even quickly, the coffin is extinguished after one minute, and Matsunaga is finally let out. It's, <laughs> it's a great image, if a tad nonsensical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then again, it's BJW, so everything's a tad nonsensical at times, but that's kind of why we love BJW. You have to connect the dots yourself a little bit, but it worked. And yeah, I the, this they kind of showed you how much BJW had grown. Last time we looked at BJW, I'm not saying we weren't impressed, but it was a bit... It had the most awesomely named death match I've ever come across that I can't remember because there was so many parts to it. <laughs> but oh, this I... feels... I was say, this feels more... This feels like a more complete event, doesn't it? It feels like they know solidly what they're doing here. Well, it's all death matches. It's a proper tournament, whereas last time we just watched two sort of separate shows that were building up to this sort of Pogo Army versus um, BJW Army, where there was... Just trying to search up this because I obviously wrote about it for the deathmatch calendar, so I'm just trying to find the right day, because I can't not include the most over, like overly wordy deathmatch ever. God, why did I make it so bloody early on in the calendar? FMW pool match. Nice throwback. <laughs> the most convoluted deathmatch name ever. Day three. We present the Wing Crisis BJW Big Bond Deathmatch. Barbed wire boards, electrified fluorescent light two boards, dry ice, thumbtacks, better nails, cactus, scorpions, coffin, barbed wire danger net, nail baseball bat, barbed wire baseball bat, and electric space heaters deathmatch. That sounds like a line from We Didn't Start the Fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there you go. BJW showing its usual level of restraint. And that bridge pretty much covers us for this week's edition of the True Penny Show. We will have new wrestling to look at at some point because we've got uh, new beginnings coming up from New Japan Pro Wrestling where there's castle storming and stuff. Which doesn't really look all that interesting at the moment. Uh, you've got Aromu. He's having a bit of a feud with show, which is kind of cool. Um Ibushi's kind of got the usual murderer's row of challenges to weed out, but Sanad is the first on the list, which will be restrained. No, I think I think people will like it because you know they're both quite good looking and they move slowly, so you get nice shots of their pectorals. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like, well, no, I think it'll be exceptionally good, but I don't think it's going to be a five star classic by any stretch of the imagination. Just because I did see something. Quite They're too similar. So we were talking about like Jay White's potential future. Apparently, he's been advertised for March Corican shows. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is completely New Japan swerving everybody to try and get more interested in Jay White. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I don't see. I everyone goes, oh, I'd be great in WWE, and I'm like, why? No, he wouldn't. What's the point in him going? Unless they are like offering him debut at the Royal Rumble, which they won't because he's not well-known enough in North America. AJ, yeah, you pour him on at the Royal Rumble and people go, ooh. Jay White, people will go, huh? He's like a New Japan loyalist. He spent all that time on the dojo. And if they aren't backing Yen up to his backyard by the truckload, 
I have absolutely no faith in the New Japan management board and Bushy Road can go take a hike. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say he was absolutely screwed on for the New Japan Cup. I pretty much think, I'll call it now, this early, I think he might be screwed on for the G1 as well at this stage in the game. Well, this is it. I, it's kind of like the Batman and the Joker with sort of White and Ibushi. They'll be destined to do it forever because they can do it so well together. This is a Carter and Tanahashi, and you've got this money feud for as long as Ibushi holds body holds together, which is about three years, I think. I don't know. And... He seems to be the most indestructible person. It's like they put an iron rod in his neck, and ever since then, he's just immune to damage, apart from you say... concussing him. You say that, but he's only like two years younger than Tanahashi. Yeah. So. This is the thing with New Japan. You always forget how old some of the wrestlers are. Yeah, you know, it's like Akada's like 10 years or 8 years younger than he is. Akada's got a lot longer left. Looking at what Akada's done now and what he'll have done by the time he gets to Tanahashi's age, that's scary what yeah. could happen. It's you know, whereas, funny, isn't it? White's yeah, only 28, White's... isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's got, I'd say, at least another 15 years of main event status to go. And you keep him, you keep him very happy and very relaxed with a beach house in New Zealand and flights home whenever he wants them. <laughs> That's what you do with him, you know, because he's, he's the closest thing you've got to Stan Hansen as far as gauging, like, um, impression on the Japanese audience is, is going at the moment. You know, there's probably been bigger names, but... If you keep Jay White happy, you keep him for a long period of time and he will make you lots and lots of money. And where and Ibushi will do as well, but he's not going to be... It's kind of the end of the road for him. It's not the end of the road in his career. I don't mean it like that. But his entire like story arc has been focused on winning this championship just the once. If he only had just won it the once and was at top of the industry and became the god. So once you've done that, what do you do with him next? So that's the that's that's kind of like where the story is for Ibushi, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of great people who only won the world championship once, you know. So that's that's okay. But you know, with White, I was to make it, quite a tasteless story idea. What's that? You should just have Ibushi versus Hiromu for the Battle of the Broken Neck Boys. Okay, <laughs> you need more sleep, John. <laughs> I know it would be, wouldn't that be fun just two crazy guys that have both managed to break their neck come back from it and they're still crazy battling it out to see who's craziest you've got young age would... crazy in Hiromu versus older age crazy in Ibushi middle aged middle aged and crazy in Ibushi like, I would actually I would actually food? I would a... John sorry you keep interrupting me today. I haven't got to the end of a sentence. I would actually see, pay to see Ibushi versus Aromu just as a regular match. I think that would be really interesting to watch because I think psychologically they're just two people that are well-matched as wrestlers, and I think it would be an interesting story to tell. And especially if you could get Hiromu to be a, um, a viable heavyweight, I think that's a Wrestle Kingdom match somewhere down the line. Yeah, Where it's getting Hiromu to... It's getting Hiromu to be uh, a viable heavyweight is the issue. Is because he's such, he's such he's so the absolute living embodiment of the junior heavyweight division, isn't he? So we'll see, I guess. Anywho, that's the Troopany show for today. Thank you very much for listening to me and John. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. John, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell to anything you could possibly want to read from me, contact me, etc. You'll find ramblings on death matches and all sorts of other stuff I come across, really. Okay. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us The Troopany Show on Facebook and The Troopany Show on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Also, 
would you like to come and uh, have a look at our five-star reviews on iTunes? Because we only got one review last year, and we had loads of hits on iTunes last year because most of you listen on iTunes. So um, a couple of five-star reviews would be nice, help the algorithm grow the show a little bit. We steadily grow year on year. For those of you who are interested in kind of kind of things, we steadily pick up a couple of thousand listeners every year, and I'm really impressed with that. We don't do the same numbers we used to do when we were part of the WrestleTalk Network for obvious reasons, because there isn't as many personalities for us to start retweeting all the stuff. Um, and we don't have the big network of support we used to have. But we're getting back to that particular point, and the more people who listen, the more we do. So thank you very much for listening to today's show. I appreciate it. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye! Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.